Please remain standing for the reading of the word. I'm going to read some selected verses from the story of Pentecost from chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all humankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be, to be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of the man came to skip a page. Foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hand of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. Pentecost, that third part, if you will, of the three main actions of God in his relationship to humanity. Christmas, everybody gathers. Everybody who is Christians gathers not only for be together as a family and to celebrate Christmas in the way that we do as a holiday, but people also come together to go to church. Many of them, it's the special time of the year for them. 
to a Chintin church, celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, who came from heaven, sent by the Father to be one of us and to live among us. The second great movement of God in history is after the death and the crucifixion of Christ, having lived among the people and given witness to the power of God in their lives, he was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, what we call Easter Day, he rose from the dead and sent it unto the Father. Now, if you listen to Christians talk about their faith, they often talk about Christmas and Easter. They often talk about the object and the person of both of those major events as it is God in Jesus Christ. That is the most familiar language in our nation where that we use to talk about the action of God in our midst. And yet, there is something else that goes on in that process. In fact, there was something that came way before that, wasn't there? There was the action of God in the act of creation itself, where God spoke us into being and breathed into us the Ruach, in the Old Testament calls it, the breath of life that he breathed into humanity and made us different from all other creatures. This breath, this wind, as Jesus spoke about when he walked this earth, fills the hearts of those who are followers of God. And yet this Jesus, who lived among us, having raised from the dead, returned to the Father in heaven. Now you would never know that if most of what you knew about Christianity was derived from the way people speak about God in the world in which we live. And you said, are you about to get on a hobby horse, Doug? The answer would be yes. The hobby horse is this. The Jesus we claim in our heart is really the Holy Spirit who perfectly reflects the Spirit of Jesus and also the Father in heaven, where they both are. And Jesus will remain in heaven until Jesus returns to the earth. The God in our hearts that we know and worship, according to the Scriptures, is the Holy Spirit. It is the part of the Trinity that God gave to us to comfort us, to teach us, to guide us, to lead us, even to call us to Jesus himself until Jesus shall return. You say, well, why is that so important? Well, when we talk about God often, we talk about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what we talk about often in our lives is not an equal sharing, if you will, of the part in the plan of salvation that belongs to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is more than someone who just encourages us to worship. The Holy Spirit is God himself who lives within us and makes all the difference in the world between Christianity and any other religion. Listen to what John Wesley said in a sermon about the Holy Spirit. What is the purpose of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Wesley spoke, and he said, The Holy Spirit was to give them what is essential for all Christians in all ages. It was to give them the mind which was in Christ Jesus. It was to give them the holy fruit of the Spirit, without which no one is a Christian. Overcome the desires of the flesh, overcoming those desires and effecting inward change in humanity, so the outward call of righteousness could be fulfilled in the lives of human beings. It is not us that ends up being righteous in God's sight by the way we act. It is us, as the Holy Spirit works through us, that gives us the strength to act in a righteous or a right way in regard to the relationship we have with the Father. Without that Holy Spirit, which he also refers in his sermon 
as the great work of God in the lives of people. It is the Holy Spirit who is the one that comes to us. Now you say, but I've been praying to Jesus all along. Don't worry, I have too for many, many years. You know why I prayed so much to Jesus instead of the Holy Spirit? Because nobody taught me that the Holy Spirit was God on earth. Nobody taught me that Jesus was in heaven. We do it subtly, intentionally, and all, all times, even talking about Jesus in the hearts of our little children, don't we? We start out teaching them wrong. Say, go figure that. You say, preacher, you're messing with fire. You know that. I know that. I'm wearing fire. It is fire. The Holy Spirit is all about power and fire. It was not until the lay witness mission in the 70s in the churches of Jesus Christ that the Methodist people began to wake up to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It didn't come from the pastors. It came from lay people who got on fire with the Word of God and began to correctly share with them the Scriptures. It is the Holy Spirit that teaches us. Jesus said, I'm leaving and it's good for you because the one who's going to come will teach you all things. That was the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not here. You said, but the Spirit of Jesus is here. Yes, and that Spirit is called the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all one. We get that. But it's important for us to recognize that Pentecost is not another day to change the color of the stoles on the robes that preachers wear when they wear them. The red is for the fire in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes into our lives to make all things new. Jesus usually gets most of the credit for that. I get that. I'm just saying that there is some importance in the Scriptures when we get it right. Now, I know this church knows more about the Holy Spirit than most Methodist churches I've ever been in, and that's a good thing. So you say, well, why are you preaching to the choir? <laughs> well, because there might be some more things the Holy Spirit wants to teach us. You see, the Holy Spirit's part in this plan of salvation, the work of the Spirit, if you will, begins with two broad movements. First of all, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, not Jesus. The Holy Spirit does. Jesus has provided the way for us to be saved once we are convicted. But it is the Spirit of God that, I like the word that we use in Methodist circles from a long time ago, woos us. This is the Holy Spirit that says, you know you're not as good as you think you are. You know if you don't straighten up, you're not going to go where you want to go. You know this thing in your life that is not right, the same thing that was not right in Adam and Eve, and the same thing that is not right in every other human being other than Jesus is that seed of rebellion that lives in the heart of humankind. And I'm telling you, if you are listening, the Father and the Son sent me to encourage you, to whisper in your ear until I become a shout, until you say, I'm convinced. I'm convinced of my sin. I know I need to repent, which follows that convincing work of the Holy Spirit, so that I can turn from my own way and follow Christ in a new way that is a trust in God. That is the work of the Spirit. Without the Spirit, none of us would ever believe. You say, no, wait a minute, I made the decision to follow Christ. Yeah, well, what I'm telling you is you never could have done that if the Holy Spirit hadn't convinced you to do it. That's what the Scriptures teach. We don't get to heaven by man-made choices. The Old Testament is all about that. We can't do it. 
We can't be good enough to go to heaven. We can only attain and share in the goal of righteousness through the power of the Spirit whom God and the Son sent to live within us. And once we get that all correct, once we get our understanding full, then we begin to see that the work of Jesus is continuing on the earth through the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is the same Holy Spirit who convinces us to believe and gives us the grace to make the choice. Many times Methodists are confused with Calvinists, those who follow a different persuasion of the Scriptures. Oftentimes Calvinists think Methodists think they're earning their way to heaven. Nothing can be farther from the truth from what John Wesley taught. And he taught it very clearly and very straightforwardly. He did that by saying nobody would receive and believe were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit. All of us would fail. All of us would be condemned. It is the Holy Spirit that convinces us to trust Jesus rather than ourselves. It is the Holy Spirit who says to us, you need to repent. You're not ready to come into God's presence. We have a lifetime worth of work to do inside you. Not only is this repentance initially for the forgiveness of sins, but this repentance is for the work of righteousness to continue. You cannot become sanctified, completely in love with God, without allowing the Holy Spirit to do that work. You can't do it. You can't perform good enough, well enough. You can't perform consistently enough to be everything Christ wants you to be and has given you the power to be because the Holy Spirit is not only the one who convinces you, He gives you the power to follow Jesus. He gives you the power to resist the sins of the flesh. He gives you the power to be transformed into the new you that does inherit eternal life and life with Jesus. But it is a process, is it not? Being a grandparent is so good because I can see all three of my children my grandchildren, all four of my grandchildren, two of them are about the same age, so I see them in the same way. Let's start with the babies. You know what they need? Milk. And now they're getting old enough they need something to chew on because they're cutting teeth. That's what they need. You know what else they need? They need picking up and loving. They need to be taught what a smile is. They need to be taught what it means to be held tightly and loved and cared for, kept in a warm place. That's what children thrive on. They thrive on looking into your eyeballs. You know, just looking at you. When your children, after those first few months, as they get on the second half, half of their first year, they begin to see when you come into the room, if you're a grandparent, you know what you see, don't you, if you get to see your grandkids often. Different than what you saw in the first few months. You walk in, and they see you come in the room, and they smile. You know why that? Because you break all the rules for them, right? <laughs> yeah. They smile because they know you. In those early months when I walk in, they look at me all over again. I have to convince them, I'm here to help you. Give me the bottle, let me feed them. Because they're like, dude, I don't remember you. I haven't seen you in three weeks. But now when you start seeing them more regularly, and even as they get old, they can actually remember who that face is. Put on glasses, change your appearance very drastically, shave your beard that you didn't have, and they might not recognize you at first because they're used to exactly who they see. And, you know, they just need that love poured into them. You know, they get to cry. If they cry, it's our job to figure out why they're crying. You know, it's the way it works. Then they get older. They become Micah's age. 
Micah's three and a half. Is Micah in here or in the nursery? Safe then. Micah is stuck in that period of time in humanity when she's a mixture of the child who wants everything she wants, but now the child who demands everything she wants. In fact, she's having her terrible twos and her threes lately, I've noticed. Not too often. You know, not too often for Papa anyway, but sometimes too often for Mama and for Daddy. I, I get tickled, and it's hard to keep a straight face when she gets really mad. You're not going to have any dessert if you don't eat what's on your plate. No, I don't want to. If you don't eat what's on your plate, Michael, there'll be no dessert. No, I don't want to. It's like, can't you understand? I don't want to eat that chicken, and I don't want those beans. I want the sweet stuff. I don't know what the problem is, but anyway. <laughs> she says that, and she means it with her whole little heart. But then occasionally she means it too much. You know, she crosses the line of being that adorable three-year-old to that, oh my gosh, who is that creature? <laughs> that child is suddenly acting like, I'm going to get in trouble if I answer that rest of that thread. Y'all finish it for yourself. But she'll say things like, no, I'm not going to do it. I don't like you. And that's when everything topples over the room. Her daddy and her papa look down to the floor, and mama takes over, and it's a whole new world. Forget the dessert part. She's going to get something other than dessert. And then they grow up, and they become like Miller. Miller's still in here, seven years old. He can actually think for himself now. He doesn't always think correctly, but he thinks correctly a lot of times. He actually acts out his faith in a seven-year-old way. But the day is going to come when Miller will no longer be seven. He'll be 11 and 12, and then he'll be thinking about a decision about, is that the voice of God I hear in my head or not? And am I willing to follow it? And then he will get older in those teenage years, those wonderful, adorable teenage years. All those years when life is so easy, right? It's so simple to, to follow along life's path. It's not strewn with any kind of obstacles. The good news for teenagers is, even though that road is so messy looking, you who have made a decision at 12 have God with you, and it is the Holy Spirit that's inside your heart. And when you're wondering if you should do something or shouldn't do something, and you're trying to interpret the rules, and you're trying to interpret them in your favor, just like your parents have done before you, don't listen so much to what the rule says. Listen to the voice of God who's whispering you and telling you either run and flee that place or it's okay for you to be involved in what you're looking at and thinking about. But those constant signals from God that lives inside us is telling us over and over again, you're about to take a wrong turn. Don't do it. It's not any different from when we're 16 or when we're 66. God still has to whisper it over and over again because at our heart, we've all got a little bit of Micah in us at three years old. I don't want to do that. I don't want to get up early and come to church. When is early? Sunday morning. I want to get up Sunday afternoon. I don't want to do it. I just can't get there. It's just too early. Really? Is it too early for you to get up to go to work? No. Too early for you to get up to go to something you wanted to do? No. But too early to get up and go to church? Right. Three years old. 
You see, we don't get over those things. Now, the events and the issues change, but the reality is still the same. Without the very presence of God, we don't stand a chance to resist the desires of our flesh. So that is why you say, well, why are you making such a big deal about this today other than you want to use Holy Spirit instead of Jesus when we're talking about it? Because the extent to which we cooperate with the grace of God that's trying to transform us, heart and mind and soul, it is directly related to the times that we will share the power of God in our lives with others. It's directly related to the experiences we will have on life and all the dangers in life that we will avoid because we've listened to that Holy Spirit guide us around the pitfalls of life. If we're not doing that, then we're going to fail to have that which God has provided for us, and that can be a very important thing. But it can also be important to the sense that it is this very act of the Spirit in our lives that makes for us and gives for us a chance to live in a way that redeems the world, that in a very real sense causes us to act, think, and talk like Jesus. It is this repeating work of the Holy Spirit to cleanse us where we experience over and over again the forgiveness of God, the new life of God, where over and over again we find ourselves at deeper and deeper levels cooperating with the grace of God and allowing God to shape us and to mold us into the person He wants us to become. This is not an easy task for God and the Holy Spirit in any of us, but it's a necessary task as John Wesley was pointing out, it is the essence of Christian life. Even the very trusting in Jesus is the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Our cooperation is one tiny part of the hard work that God has already done. Making a way for us in Jesus and then calling us to take that path through the ministry of His Holy Spirit. We're going to celebrate Holy Communion this morning. And when we come to this table where we talk about the fruit of the vine as if it is the blood of Christ, and we talk about the bread as if it is the body of Christ, when we get ready to come down to receive it, we can either come down and receive grape juice and elements of bread, or we can come down to the table and experience the presence of Christ, the mind and heart of Jesus. You know who it is that comes to us in communion? to minister to us here on this earth? By now, it's, it's not a trick question. It is, in the very real sense, the ministry of the Holy Spirit who makes the presence of Christ in these sacraments real. So come to the chancel rail and receive it. Come to the chancel rail and experience the forgiveness of Christ because that's where the Holy Spirit is calling you to, calling you to that place where you can say yes, calling you to that place where you can be better than you can ever be on your own because you are not alone. You're with the Spirit. As you come, the Holy Spirit is calling you to share in generously what God has given you by leaving gifts on the altar. Why? Not to earn your salvation, but out of the love you feel for others as the Holy Spirit encourages you to love the unfortunate in your community. It is the Holy Spirit who says, work, help buy that playground. It is the Holy Spirit who says, help that family pay their rent. It is the Holy Spirit who says to you, 
Don't you care about your neighbors? Well, yeah, I do care about what's his name, Lord. I just can't think of the name right now. It's the Holy Spirit that says, get out of your chair and walk over there. Find a way to bump into them and meet them. It is the Holy Spirit who says, you're speaking to someone who doesn't know Jesus. Are you looking for the opening where you can give a word from the Spirit in love to them? Be aware of God because God is so very, very near because he's inside you. A part of God lives inside you. And that God's name is the Holy Spirit.